0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, September 6th edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Um, kind of a stressful time here in the Carolinas all throughout the Southeast. Hurricane Irma uh, looks to be knocking on our door and uh, we'll talk a little bit about Irma tonight uh, before we log off, but we do want to uh, bring in our guests. This is our new time format, 815. So uh, we're going to kind of cut out what's been going on lately. Uh, we will cover Irma in that time towards the end of the show. But uh, this is live broadcast. If you are watching tonight, uh, feel free to interact with us on Twitter at um, Carolina WX Group, uh, or you can follow us on Facebook. Um, and if you're watching on the Periscope, the Facebook Live, uh, our YouTube page, and you have any questions for our guests, please feel free to uh, submit those, and we'll get those uh, asked and answered for you. And if you're listening on the uh, podcast version. We will let our guests uh, share their social media accounts towards the end of the show, and that way you can direct questions to them. So uh, with all that, I'm going to go ahead and give it to uh, Ricky Matthews, who will be conducting the interview tonight. Uh, We are going to talk about uh, kind of uh, what it takes to get into meteorology, some classes, colleges to go to, maybe internships. uh, And we have some great guests with us tonight. Uh, We have Sam Harris uh, from NC State, Trevor Gibbs from the College of Charleston, and uh, Kyle Kill. Uh, K like from a KWWL uh, television station. So you tried. Like, I tried. I tried. I
1: didn't,
0: okay. I didn't do good. <laughs> so, Ricky, I'm going to toss it to you so we can uh, start our interview. And again, if you have any questions about Irma, direct those towards the end of the show. That way, we can um, keep up with our current conversation. All right, Ricky, it's all yours.
2: All righty, thank you so much, Scotty. Yeah, busy time here in the Carolinas, and uh, perhaps some of our guests know. Nothing better than that than the folks down at the College of Charleston with Trevor. How's everything down there, Trevor?
3: Pretty hectic. Um, students are kind of freaking out a little bit.
2: But but being and, a meteorology student, you know, w- with a hurricane approaching, probably one of the you know the most exciting times of your career so
3: far. It's up there. Um, <laughs> Matthew last year was a, brought a lot of excitement and kind of a lot of stress, um, and this is no different, you know.
2: Um, so, so for all our panel members tonight, let's just have each of you go through and kind of talk a little bit about um, what I want to talk about first is why you made the choice to go to the university you went to. It's a tough choice for a lot of students, and we have so many meteorology schools like Oklahoma, Penn State that are very well known, and you guys have found some smaller schools or, or you know, that aren't as well known but still have great programs. So Trevor, go ahead. We'll start with you first, why you chose uh, College of Charleston.
3: Okay. Well, I've always known that I wanted to do... Meteorology, like, always. Um, and unfortunately, for the longest time, South Carolina didn't have anywhere that offered meteorology. And kind of, kind of was unfortunate. Um, when it became time to start thinking about college, you know, finances and scholarships pretty much mandated that I stay in state. So I began thinking, and, you know, what would I do? And so I was, maybe I'll do something related for undergrad, and then I'll go on somewhere else for graduate school and do meteorology. But um, So I decided I'll do the next best thing for undergrad, and that was Clemson. I went to Clemson for a year, um, and I was a geology major. and I love Clemson. It's an amazing school, but they just didn't have what I needed, and fortunately, I was in contact with one of the physics professors down here at the College of Charleston, and he emailed me about halfway through my freshman year and was just like, hey, there's plans to go forward with this meteorology program it would be an extension of the you know already established physics and astronomy if you're interested here's the information of course I was interested so I applied I transferred and hopefully I will be graduating next year or the year after next so
2: so, so for you it was, it was you know, primarily driven kind of like my decision was to go to UNC Charlotte wanting to be kind of close to home and financial reasons which is very large in the minds of many students especially <laughs> nowadays and all that other fun mess we get into. Sam, what about you? What what was your decision point?
4: Well, fortunately, I'm from North Carolina. I'm from Greensboro, so I had about three or four really good options. And uh, I toured UNC Asheville, UNC Charlotte, and, and also NC State. And I really did like all three schools, but I wanted to go to a big school, I thought, because I wanted to be in marching band. I wanted to have that big school experience. So that kind of narrowed it down to UNC Charlotte and NC State. And I really liked NC State. My grandparents live in Raleigh. They live about five minutes from here. So it was close to my family. Uh, I really liked the campus. So it was a somewhat easy decision once I got accepted.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a little grief because I went to UNC Charlotte. So you, you picked <laughs> NC State over UNCC there, but uh, <laughs> we'll let you slide tonight, I guess.
1: So
2: <laughs>
5: yeah,
1: Kyle, what about you? Yeah, sorry, my video's not working here. I don't, apparently my uh, hangouts cannot use my selected camera, so sorry about that, but you see what I look like there. Uh, So with me, um, I am from the Quad City, so that's kind of on the border of Iowa and Illinois. Um, So once I got into high school and started thinking about college, I uh, was looking at Iowa State University, which has a great, you know, meteorology program, awesome website as well. Uh, So when I showed interest in it. You know, I got pamphlets and stuff and, and we looked at the tuition and what that would be. And my parents were like, God, oh, no, that's too much. Cause I was technically out of state. So I was looking, um, elsewhere in Illinois, uh, Western Illinois. It didn't have, uh, it had atmospheric science as did Southern Illinois university. Uh, so then I found Northern Illinois university. And I uh, looked into the program, talked to a couple of professors and when I went and visited, I immediately fell in love with it. Um, Obviously not a popular uh, meteorology school, uh, but it was a great program, great professors, and a lot of great people that I I went to school with. So once I visited campus, I knew that it was the right fit for me. And I actually, um, you know, cost, as you guys were saying, um, I actually went to community college for two years and then transferred transferred as a junior. Um, So I... Did the transfer experience, which I wouldn't trade for the world because I saved a lot of money and uh, just everything worked out the way it did. So, yeah, so like everyone else, it was, you know, I wanted to be close to home, wanted to do meteorology and I, you know, wanted to uh, have a cheap option or relatively cheap.
2: With doing the community college option, what classes were you able to take there that you were then able to transfer?
1: Um, so I was able to, obviously all the gen eds, I did uh calculus. Um, so that was a, that was a big one was a calculus. Uh, and then obviously, you know, the introduction to meteorology, um, what else? I th- I, that was pretty much it. I took a, a physics class. Did I take, yeah, I took, I took one physics class, but it wasn't the correct physics class. So I actually did kind of get screwed over a little bit on, um, some of the classes cause my uh, counselor or my advisor, uh, didn't, necessarily point me in the right direction into the right classes but it all worked out you know I took yeah I took Calc 1 there and then I took Calc 2, 3, Diffie Q in uh up into calvet NIU so uh, just kind of the basic gen eds I got out of the way got my associates and then I uh, did all my met stuff at NIU.
2: It's an interesting thing you bring up you know some of the struggles going through talk, let's talk about that <laughs> I mean each of you probably had some Moment uh, of during your college career where you're like, "Geez, this is a this is a breaking point almost." Let's talk about some of those, some of the struggles that I mean, many students go through. So, Kyle, what was perhaps your biggest struggle?
1: All right, so my biggest struggle was math. Um, you know, in high school, I mean, I've always, I mean, I'm sure all of you as well. Since you were a little kid, you've been obsessed with the weather, and you know, that's all you wanted to do, and that's all I wanted to do. And um, so, when I was in high school, I started talking to my high school counselors, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, you need a lot of math." Well, math wasn't my strong subject um, in high school, and so I, but I decided to give it a try, and I think I think it was a junior, and I went into, uh, I did trigonometry, and then I went into pre-calc, and I only lasted two days, because I had no idea what the teacher was saying. Um, so I was kind of like, crap, is this really for me? But I'm like, you know what, no, I'm, I like weather, I'm going for it. Um, so when I got into college, you know, I took, I can't remember the order I took it, but, I took Calc 1, um, it, had to been, it had to have been my sophomore year, I guess, because I had to take a couple other prereqs. And halfway through the semester, I was getting a D, and I'm like, how in the world am I going to get through Calc 2, Calc 3, Diffy Q, all the you know calculus-based physics. So I, that, that was like when I went to my advisor, I'm like freaking out. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then I talked to my professor. And the problem was with my professor was that he had everything on a PowerPoint presentation. And for me, I'm a visual learner. I got to see you do it, explain it, show me step by step, whatever. Um, so I thought maybe that was the issue. So I went up to him and talked to him. He's like, hey, you know, if you take this midterm um, and you don't do very well, I'll sign a slip and you can drop the class. I'm like, whatever. I didn't believe him. So I went and dropped a class anyway before the deadline. And I like remember going home to my parents and I'm like, guys, I'm like, I don't think I can do meteorology. I can't even get through the first, you know, the first course. But they told me, they're like, no, Kyle, like, you know, this is your dream. You got to go for it. So I just took, um, I took it over the summer actually with a different professor who, you know, taught math like you would think people teach math. Um, and I, with flying colors. So it was just a, a matter of the professor and I, I found that the issue a lot was it was just the way the professors taught and the way I learned. I just it, we weren't seeing eye to eye, but uh, it was definitely the math and the physics. I mean it was it was tough. I remember um, in physics one, it like the, the curve in the class was just unbelievable and it was just the way the teacher taught it. Everyone was not doing very well, and so, you know, I'm sure you guys in in school right now, hopefully you don't have to deal with curves, but if you have to curve the class, I mean, it's not the students, it's obviously something you're doing, but yeah, so I I ran into a a lot of issues with that, and obviously with me going to a community college, I ran into the issue with um, the transferring of credits. Um, It was a mess. When I went off to NIU, I technically had gotten my associate's degree, but um, they told me that I needed one more credit to get the degree, and I'm like, well, I can't take a class because, you know, I'm two hours away, and they're like, oh, you can do it online, so I did it online, it was just, it was a pain in the butt, but uh, once I got through the whole transferring process and stuff, it was, um, it was pretty easy going there, but yeah, that, that was my struggle going from the community college to the university, it was a, just a, a big struggle.
2: I think the key there to show off to everyone is that hey, you made it and you made it through everything. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and it was, too. they
1: just do. They just have to hunker down and actually get through it. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go back and change anything. I mean, I that that's my advice to everyone is you know if you have a dream, go for it. I mean, e- even a couple of the people I went to, uh, you know, to NIU with, uh, we were getting in our upper level met courses and they were like, oh yeah, I failed Cal three three times, but it's like yeah, I mean, you just keep going for it if you want something, you keep going for it, and you'll make it happen.
2: That was me i took calc two twice i think uh physics no i think i took physics once i don't know either way it wasn't fun just like you
4: nope, sam
6: and, uh,
2: and trevor what, what about you sam we'll let you go first
4: well i mean
2: it sounds pretty similar in fact i'm
4: in physics one right now and our first test is when irma may be in our backyard so <laughs> oh, next week so that should be fun But uh, yeah, I have always struggled in math, and I have felt not too strong. I've loved weather since forever, but I had to take Calculus two twice. I took it this summer, and so I got credit in that. And right now, physics is the struggle. But yeah, the hardship has really just been calculus, calculus, chemistry, physics all of that it it never seems like it's the meteorology
2: classes it's always the uh, other classes that that are the struggles no
4: because you want to invest time in meteorology classes so those are the classes that are just so easy to just spend hours extra just looking up stuff working on stuff and you don't even realize it and you're essentially studying and you've been studying essentially for years in some cases so
2: Trevor, how about you anything in your career
3: Pretty much the same, as you've already heard. Um, I took Calc 2 last fall, and if it weren't for the curve, I would not have passed that class. Um, very, very challenging. And physics, you know, it's physics. Um, I'm in a class right now called experimental physics, and it's, it's intense. But I mean, you just got to keep going. Got to work through it. The,
2: the grades in the students uh, passing are experimental.
3: I'm sorry?
2: <laughs> uh, I said everything's ex- isn't fear ex- is experimental anyway? Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah. Man.
2: Well, let's talk about some of the, the better things. Each of your colleges kind of has something that is unique or, or makes it stand out. Sam, I know at, at NC State you were talking to us before the show about some of the advantages you guys have. And Nate Johnson teaches a class who most people on our show know very well. Uh, what are some of the things that stand out at NC State about what makes state state?
4: Well, we have a partnership with the National Weather Service that's in fact on our campus. And so, National Weather Service of Raleigh, as well as the State Climate Office, there is internships provided by uh, a partnership between us. So, especially juniors and seniors in the program often go over and do those in the summer during the school year. Also, Nate Johnson, a meteorologist at WRAL. He comes and teaches a class every two years on just broadcast meteorology. And so I will probably take that class in two years because he's teaching it right now. And so, yeah, WRAL is right across the street from our meteorology building. So the proximity of all of these programs are very close to campus. So it makes it really nice.
2: Having a plethora of people and information to uh, pick from is always a blessing. Uh, a little side note here, and then we'll get into the other panelists. Uh, a lot of folks joining us tonight because of the hurricane approaching, and we are going to finish our normal segment here at the show around 8.45, and then we'll spend the rest of the time kind of talking a little bit about Irma, because uh, I know a lot of people are interested in that tonight, and we'll let Shay and I and everyone else kind of give a little bit of analysis on the storm. Uh, but we'll. this is our weekly segment we typically do with some guests in the meteorology universe, and... Uh, like to talk about different topics and things like that in the field of meteorology. So I think we're talking about students in meteorology and some of the struggles and challenges uh, they face. So we'll wrap up that around 8.45 and then segment into Irma. So Trevor, uh, what makes uh, some interesting stuff
3: in your next video? Ignore that noise in the background if you hear it. Um, I think <laughs> what's really... That, that's the evacuation siren, right? Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> I think what's really unique about Charleston is the dynamics of our weather. Um, Obviously, tropical threats, severe weather, um, occasionally winter weather, and ice particularly. And I think it's just really cool, the variety that you see. And it's in a great city too, I mean, you've got the National Weather Service like 10 minutes away from the college. Um, it's, It's great.
2: I remember when we were in Charlotte that we did not have a local weather service office and trying yeah. just to schedule a trip. There was a, a challenge. So, yeah. all right. uh, let, Let's get Kyle's comments and then we'll bring Shane with a question.
1: Yeah. So uh, I was in DeKalb, Illinois, which just, I think it's like 45 minutes from Romeoville where uh, national weather service Chicago is. And there's a lot of NIU alumni there. So we had a really good relationship with the national weather service, uh, you know, taking trips there. Um, we, Dr. Walker Ashley, he's one of the professors there. Um, great guy, great storm chaser. So always having his, uh, him as a professor just talking about his real experience in storm chasing and meteorology was great. Um, also good partnership with College of DuPage, obviously great weather websites um, with uh, Victor Gensini as well. Uh, so yeah, it was just uh, kind of the connections that the university had. Uh, we had, uh, we did official weather observations for the National Weather Service, so that was always cool. Um, had a nice little observatory there. So yeah, that was NIU.
5: Hey, yeah, I think you had a question. What's that? I think you had a question, Shay. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to go over to, uh, to Sam. Um, I thought he was, he was going to be third in line. My, my fault there. Uh, Trevor, this question's for you. Um, and, and I'm really disappointed. You didn't mention the sea breeze. I'm devastated that you didn't mention that. I have that sea breeze. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that that's my own issue projecting on you no big deal there um you are at the college of charleston which just started the meteorology program yes. this year you're you're, yep. you're a first generation student tell us yep. a little bit about the program where did it why did they decide to go with meteorology after all these years why didn't they do it before was it i think it was a stronger physics department before that's my alma mater uh so they have obviously shifted in a, in a positive direction for weather so tell us a little bit about your program and, and what you do all right, so for the longest time, to my knowledge, they had a meteorology minor. It might have been a
3: concentration. I'm pretty sure it was a minor. Um, Jared might know the answer to that. Yeah,
6: they had a concentration, but there was also a minor.
3: Okay. Yep. So, And it was an extension, really, from their physics uh, and astronomy programs. Um, and there's just this there's been this push. There's no meteorology school in South Carolina. None. And so... You know, I think they had increasing pressure from a lot of people, so they added one. And the program is actually a BA, not a BS, um, which might take some people by surprise. And I actually I have the, the reason why they um, have it a BA. Uh, they just say that it's designed to serve non-traditional meteorology careers, like in environmental science, business, education, law, teaching, etc. cetera. Um, but for those who do want to go into operational, like to work at the Weather Service, they do have the operational meteorology concentration. That takes you up to those higher level physics and higher level math. The plane major just has you up to math-wise calc 2 and physics-wise the experimental physics class that I'm in right now. And of course you have all the electives and all the core meteorology classes like climate, um, the intro class, synoptic, satellite, Uh, I think air pollution might be one that they're offering. But it is still mostly physics-based. It's a small Department, of course, it just started. I only there's only three meteorology specific professors, so hopefully that'll grow. I think it will, I don't see a reason
5: why it wouldn't. That's pretty cool. They, um, yeah, uh, so you basically you were saying you're, the BA gives you the class, it gives you the class structure in order to get maybe a, a career with the National Weather Service right out because they have a specific set of classes that even a meteorology grad from NC State, no offense, Sam, uh, but. You, yeah, one of the Mets that works with Weatherflow with me, he's an NC State grad meteorology, but he, he needs like two or three classes to get to the Weather Service because they they only had him on a curriculum that had a certain base of classes, and he didn't take what the Weather Service had at the time. Yep. So um the CFC does have that program.
3: Yep. For the operational one, it does. They do say that um it does meet the requirements, so you'll we'll have all the classes for that.
5: Fantastic. Yeah. And they do need folks. They they need people, <laughs> the short staff. Absolutely.
7: Mm-hmm. So I've got a uh, question for all three of you. Good evening. This is mm-hmm. Eric and sorry to join a little bit late tonight. Um, so I know one of the things that uh, being having been in the profession for a while and I'm talking to students and so forth is um, talking about other doing being able to have some other uh, maybe tangential skill to meteorology other than just knowing the weather and, and that that can certainly help get you a job um, in a in a pretty tough environment. Um, so Do you guys have um, anything that you picked up while you were going through school, whether it's like a a GIS interest or computer science, computer programming or anything like that, that would be one of those skills that would be um, help you in the job market um, besides just being the best weather person resume wise? (laughs) And I'll open Um, it up to whoever. I
3: I think those are increasingly important, and I'm actually looking into taking some GIS classes uh, next year, Um, but I haven't taken any sorts of things yet other than just the pure physics and math
1: I wish I would have taken GIS Um, I took one GIS class for my geography minor um, but a lot of things that are even our meteorology professors were saying because we were in the Department of Geography the meteorology was um, so they had a lot of GIS classes they had a GIS major GIS minor Um, so one thing I wish I would have done was uh, go more into the GIS um, but I didn't (laughs) Well, yeah, in
4: regards to geography, I think I developed an interest in geography and like topography before meteorology. So I was like super interested in drawing maps of the state of the country. I believe at one point I memorized all 100 counties in North Carolina. So that was back in probably third or fourth grade. And then kind of it led into meteorology somehow. But yeah, that's been an interest of mine as well as meteorology.
0: All right, Sam, you gotta you gotta name all one hundred of them. Let's go. <laughs> it
4: took a little while. <laughs> well, I'm in Wake County right
3: now. <laughs> and just to add on to that, um, so the sort of direction that I want to head into is broadcasting, and so there's not a broadcast meteorology specific <clears throat> course that you could take it. College of Charleston yet. Mm-hmm. So I picked up a communications minor. So I'm taking a lot of media classes, public speaking. And I'll uh, it feels like that.
1: Yeah, I'll jump in on that. Um so I I obviously am uh into broadcasting and like you, I my school didn't have a broadcast meteorology focus, um, but they did have a broadcast journalism focus. And so what I did, I just contacted the um TV center and you know they said oh yeah, we, you know, we do weather. All it was was just literally a green screen and a PowerPoint presentation. So it was nothing special, but I mean, it did get me practice in front of the green screen. Um, but one thing, um, when I was, uh, I did production at a news station um, when I was in the community college. And so I was able to get a lot of contacts there with the news director and the meteorologist there. And one thing the news director told me, he was like, Hey, you know, first starting out, you know, you'll likely have to do, um, you know, news reporting and stuff. I'm like, okay, so you might want to consider a communications degree or journalism like minor. So like, all right, yeah, that sounds good, whatever. And so I did, I officially signed up as a journalism minor. I took the first journalism class. It was, it was fine. It wasn't like difficult or anything. I did fine in it, but I, it just was not my thing. So I contacted that same news director. I'm like, Hey, I'm like here's where i am like i I don't like it (laughs) i'm like so say if, if it was between me and then someone else you know for a job as a meteorologist and reporter they have that reporter minor and i don't you know would you base it more on presentation he's like oh yeah i'd base it more on presentation whatever so i'm like all right i won't do it so i went to my first job interview and i was honest i was like hey i'm like you know i dropped my minor, like I was a journalism minor, but I dropped it because I hated it. I I probably didn't say hate, but I was like, you know, it wasn't my thing. And she was like, oh yeah, that's okay. You know, we'll we'll train you on the job. But one thing I I really wish I would have stuck with it because it is a lot more difficult than what I thought. Not saying it was, I didn't think it was like a cakewalk or anything going into it, but I I really wish I would have done some sort of communication or um, journalism minor because I think that would have helped me out you know, at my first job a lot. It it was a huge learning curve, um, you know, doing that as far as the broadcast side goes. But, um, but I can say, you know, doing the reporting, it made me a better broadcaster, a better communicator, uh, and all that stuff. So I I don't regret it. But um, yeah, I, I think that having that communications minor is probably a good idea.
0: Oh,
3: yeah,
1: for for broadcasts.
3: Cool.
0: Uh, so for you guys, uh, anybody
3: out there who's had an internship, I know Trevor has, um, walk us through that process, how to get an internship, where to get one, uh, what goes on when you go through an internship? Trevor, we'll start with you, I guess. All right. Well, I actually didn't have an internship. Um, it was, <laughs> It was, I was a part-time production assistant at one of our local stations here, Live 5 News. And... Through that, I was able to get practice with the green screen and with the WSI technology. Um, just during our downtime, the meteorologist there let me work with him, which was really, really cool. But um, so I just, you know, applied online. I saw the position was open, and it was a pretty, I wouldn't say extensive uh, process, but I had to go for, you know, the interview, and it was a pretty gruesome interview. Um, and then I, my so my position, I just operated all the cameras really for all the. Um, broadcast and just maintained you know the studio being clean and whatnot and i I worked like right next to to everybody and it's during our downtime just got to mess with some things it was really cool i just did that last summer and then i had to go back because of school because the hours were kind of crazy
2: all righty so we're getting close to 8.45 here, so I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to just kind of mention something that we haven't talked about yet, but you think is important to bring up or you want other students to know. Uh, and then finally, I'll give a shout out to any of our other panel members. If you guys have any other questions, feel free to throw them in now because we're going to segue a bit here to our mm-hmm. hurricane coverage uh, after this. So Kyle, we'll let you go first.
1: Yeah. So uh, as I was mentioning earlier, stick with it. If you want to do meteorology, if that's what's in your heart, stick with it, stick through the math, stick through the science, once you get into the dynamics you'll understand why you took all that math it'll all come together and hopefully make sense um and also back to the whole internship thing do it i mean i I did two of them in college and i mean it got me to where i am today i it's just a lot a lot of places you can't get especially in broadcasting you can't necessarily get a paid internship it's priceless just do it you know you'll network you'll learn a lot um so i highly highly recommend uh, doing some sort of internship, even at the National Weather Service. I wish I would have, you know, done a National Weather Service internship as well, just to kind of get a, a different idea of um, of how the National Weather Service operates. And another thing is uh, I was mentioning the partnership with the College of DuPage. They had a storm chasing program that I really, really, really wish I would have taken a part of, uh, because, I mean, I think I would understand our atmosphere a lot better, you know, seeing it uh, out in the field. So if you ever get a chance to go storm chasing, do
0: it.
2: <laughs> All righty, uh, Sam. What about you?
4: I'd say if you're interested in meteorology, explore your options within the field. is a such a wide range. You can go into broadcast. You can go National Weather Service, government, private companies. So I know at my school or meteorology department, there's about five different clubs, and one of them's Broadcast Meteorology Club. So I tried that last year to see to gain more experience in that and see if I liked it. I did RFD Club, which we do uh, case studies and little event summaries on things like last year we did Hurricane Matthew event summary and things like that. So it's just, it gives you a wide range of, of like possibilities and outlooks into exactly what you wanna do with your degree. Pretty much the point of being in the program is to expose yourself to as much as possible.
3: Yeah, and kind of building on that, I'd say just to put yourself out there, make yourself known to your professors, get to know your professors. I mean, this is my first time doing this, and now I know all of you guys, and, you know, we can interact and talk about whatever. Um, and I just think it's connections are always good, you know, that you can never have enough of them. Um, so put yourself out there. You never know what will happen,
0: that's what I'd say. All
2: right, perfect. Uh, everything's Thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, Scotty, did you have something
0: God. to add there? I was going to say I totally agree with Trevor and Ricky. I think you'll you'll join it with me saying that connections is one big thing in our industry. Uh, the more connections that you can make, and the more people that you get to talk to and get to know, it can really help you out, you know, further further your development and your career.
2: Absolutely. All righty. Well, um, let me. Sorry, I'm sidetracked. I got five other things going on. <laughs> Let's get back to the show. Um, each of you, do you have a social media account you'd like to plug, or some other way people can uh, follow you on Facebook or follow you on Twitter if they want to?
1: Yeah, you can follow me, Kyle. Uh, I'm at KyleKWWL. A lot of K's and W's there, uh, and then you can follow me on Facebook, uh, Kyle Keel Meteorologist at KWWL. Okay. Sounds good. Sam or uh, Ross
2: or sorry, Trevor. Anything?
4: Yeah, I got a. Twitter account I believe the account is Samuel Harris 97 and uh, Facebook I guess if you can look if you can get through about the 20 Sam Harrises you might find <laughs> me
2: so <laughs> all right Trevor anything you wanted to throw
4: out yeah
3: I've got Twitter and Facebook Twitter is at Trevor's weather and then Facebook just type in Trevor Gibbs dash weather and you'll see me
2: all Well, thank you all once again for joining us. Feel free to stick around and we'll get some of your thoughts on Irma if you want to. Awesome. Um, we're going to jump into that. And I'm going to go to the man who perhaps knows Irma no better than anyone else and may meet her face to face here very soon. Uh, <laughs> down in Charleston, South Carolina, we're going to have Shay Gibson join us and talk a little bit about some of the dynamics of the storm, Shay. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you and I, uh, I guess we could kind of say we're the hurricane junkies, hurricane experts on this panel here. There's been a lot of impressive hurricanes in the Atlantic Basin this year. I mean, maybe it's just the new GO-16 satellite. Maybe it's it's the strength of these. But, my gosh, it's been what one heck of a year for strong hurricanes in the Atlantic.
5: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Harvey in Texas, uh, I mean, that just blew up once it went off the, you know, came off the Yucatan Peninsula to the west and just fed off of that warm water. And, and you know, these systems, uh, the fueling mechanism at the surface, and then you get these pockets of relaxed shear, Uh, That's all it needs. And and these waters have been simmering all summer long without very much action to stir it up or to move it. Uh, Not very many frontal boundaries or high pressures to to sort of move that water around behind them. Um, And so you're left with this vast body of warm sea surface temperatures. You're talking 30 degrees Celsius or around 86 to 88 degrees uh, Fahrenheit water. And so when you get this water simmering, the depth of the water the warm layer is actually deeper. So we call that the epipelagic zone or the pelagic zone of the surface. And that's when we get into tropical cyclone heat potential. But you get these deep, deep layers of warm water, there's more fuel because the storm doesn't up well. The cooler water from below is easy. So any, any of the smaller ones that go over doesn't have much effect. We saw that in the Caribbean. Uh, so you're left with only upper shears to be your best friend to sort of dissipate some of these systems. But we you know we're entering uh, the... Uh, You know the peak of the season which is september 10th and uh, so far uh, hurricane irma has amassed more accumulated cyclone energy or what we call ace than every other storm that has happened in the atlantic basin this one has maintained 185 miles an hour for over 24 hours now Uh, if we look at the atlantic basin i'm going to share the screen Um, we have three hurricanes right now Um, actually we have hurricane katia which is in the southern Gulf of Mexico now. It, it looks a little bit ragged. It has a little bit of upper shear on it, but it is expected to. Uh, we thought it maybe would only stay as a tropical storm. That's going to drift to the south and eventually over Mexico, but the fact that it became a hurricane is kind of a surprise. So there's still warm, abundant waters in this area to help with the fueling process. Uh, all the way over here to the east-southeast of Irma, which we'll get to, uh, is uh, Jose, Hurricane Jose. And these are both at 75 miles an hour. Uh, so... Jose's kind of on the, on, the, on the tail end. It's sort of reminiscent of Matthew and Nicole, the, the, the dual combo last year. Now it's sort of flipped with the big sister and the little brother. Um, but we'll have to watch Jose in time. It looks like the, the track will take it in a similar fashion right behind Irma. Uh, talking about Irma right now, wind's still at 185 miles per hour. Pressure down to 914 millibars. So it would actually, the pressure went up to 920. Now it's back down again. We take a look at the um, the eye wall here. Um, this is morphed integrated imagery, and you can see as as it goes over these islands like Puerto Rico, we're starting to see the outer eye wall have a little bit of effect. Some of that dry air sort of entraining into that outer eye wall just enough to cause a little bit of a wobble. But I think that the um, restructuring phase, where it'll go through a, a recycle of the eye wall. Um, it'll probably tighten back up again. It's heading over warm waters and, and no upper shear as well. So once it gets clear of Puerto Rico with this mountainous zones, uh, we'll probably see uh, maybe even some potential for strengthening. I, I hate to say that, but it is in a very ripe environment right now. We can even look at it here on the uh, imagery, and we can see how uh, a lot of the convection has sort of been displaced. You can see that wobble as it goes over Puerto Rico and this mountainous zone sort of shifting that convection. It is in to a very ripe environment right now, eastern side. Uh, And then we expect that that will sort of tighten up once it gets to the north of Puerto Rico If it hugs a little bit closer to Hispaniola may have a little bit of effect on it But I tell you it's pretty resilient to go over these islands not have Have almost zero effect on the winds and the pressure actually dropping now. So um, It's a very very powerful system. It's no joke. It's devastating I've seen some of the pictures and videos coming out of the uh, US Virgin Islands Barbados Uh, Some of those spots have gotten hammered on today just really hard and uh, there are some casualties so the storm is already deadly and uh, we look at some of the winds Uh, our station I can pull it up here uh, at Buck Island just south of the US Virgin Islands picked up a gust up to 136 miles an hour at 118 p.m. this station is 90 feet above sea level 40 feet above ground Uh, so at 90 feet high these winds tend to be a little bit higher than at the extreme surface because of surface roughness blocking it. And so that's why we can't rely on buoys in, within the waves, some of the shadowing. But this this one's a little bit higher up. the uh, Cell phone towers all are crashed; they're, they're done for in this area. So our comms are out. We can't get any more data. But uh, we're seeing the eyes sort of shift over north northern Puerto Rico. And maybe a couple of our stations will pick up some of the backside winds where it's shadowed over there. Uh, But, yeah, this is our wind alert storm track, and uh, we're we're watching very closely. We're going to be watching it as it heads toward the United States, towards southern Florida, and now the track takes it up the eastern side of Florida, at least down the middle of the track. Remember that this cone of uncertainty is very wide, so there's still possibilities for the system to hook a little further off the coast of Florida, maybe even off the coast of the southeast region, and there's also a possibility you could push a little further over into the the, uh, Gulf of Mexico, just along the western side of Florida, So we can't uh you know rule those options out just now uh south carolina did declare a state of emergency today they're going to go ahead and get emergency management components in place and get the logistics rolling for uh for our state and so a lot of uh, government entities are shutting down i think i heard that schools may be shutting down folks are starting to get into evacuation mode and if we look at the track for irma we can see the the official nhc track Brings South Carolina and Georgia, coastal South Carolina, and Georgia into the mix now. And uh, hurricane watches will be expected to extend to the Florida Keys and eastern Florida, southern Florida, all of southern Florida, even probably up to central Florida uh, tomorrow. So that's that's where we are right now with Irma. It's a very impressive storm. I mean, it's 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 pretty much in beast mode. It's been in beast mode since uh, last night, and it's just impressive to see such a powerful storm in the Atlantic Basin. I think it's the second. It might be the second most powerful, maybe fourth or fifth most powerful overall, but definitely up there in the top one or two for the longevity. I think it's number one for longevity of having 185 miles an hour wind. The um, uh, record was Hurricane Allen in 1980 with 190 mile per hour winds and a pressure of 899 millibars. So this one is very close to that. And one of the things uh, that uh-huh.
2: me so much, Shea, is how this thing has managed to keep its eye wall for such a long period of time. I mean, we haven't really seen – a dedicated erc over the past say 24 hours now we do look at the radar you kind of see that concentric eye wall uh, developing so it looks like it's going to over undergo one of those ercs which as you kind of alluded to may impact that strength as it moves off towards the west a little bit
5: yeah so yeah the eye replacement cycle we could be seeing that on the outer eye wall now it's it's had a double eye wall for some time now and you can see that the, the core, the center around the, the inner eye wall is fairly solid. There's a little bit of a wobble there. There are some mesovortices that are spinning around in here. So if you get one little shift, sometimes those vortices have a way of sort of uh, wobbling that inner eye wall. But uh, it looks like the outer eye wall might be going through an, an uh, eye wall replacement cycle right now. But either way, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's just impressive. I mean, it, it's it's horrible how devastating it is. You know for being such a beautiful looking system meteorologically speaking but uh, this this still has some land to go through it's heading towards the Turks and Caicos uh, towards the southern Bahamas we still have Hispaniola Haiti Dominican Republic these these places are going to be impacted uh, tonight and tomorrow so um, we hope that folks there are hunkered down and that as many have evacuated as possible because this storm I believe the highest winds of 185 extend out to 60 miles around the center. Now, so if it comes within that 60 mile range, you're in real trouble. And the surge has been covering these islands too.
0: Hey so Shay, I just uh, having a couple questions. Um, uh, ERC means eye replacement cycle. I know a lot of people are asking what is ERC, but that's just the eye replacement cycle. So go ahead.
5: Yep, yep. Um, uh, that that basically means when you know you have a sort of a breakdown in some of the stronger convective convection around the core. Uh, something you get a little bit of dry air entrainment or you get a little bit of shear or maybe some a, a dry air and in, Injection even at the even at the mid levels sometimes it can it can precipitate or not be precipitated out of the eye quick enough and it and it gets wrapped around the storm. It goes through one or two re, uh, revolutions uh, and that and then the eye wall we play, you know, basically uh, Goes through a restructuring phase and, and it feeds off of that warm water below to make that happen So it's plenty of water. I mean that the sea surface temps like I said Uh, are plenty warm here. If we go, uh, I'll take it one step further. There's your sea surface temps. Look where it's heading. It's in 30 degrees Celsius water now. That's about 86, 87. It's heading to 31. Um, You know, 31 to the northern side if it goes that high up. Uh, The track takes it to southern Florida. Very warm water. It's 31 degrees right there just north of Cuba. Uh, The Gulf Stream along the eastern side of Florida is typically about 86, 87 degrees Celsius. There is one... Thing that I think may help and um, look at the GFS model for this as the system comes up this is just one run don't take this to heart right now this is a scenario just one of them um, but we see this high pressure to the north of it in this northeast wedge working down into the system we saw this in Matthew last year a little bit of help from dry air to the west we're not going to see that this time I don't think but we will see this cool northeast wind driving down into the system which will sort of cool the core It also tends to cool the sea surface temperatures as well by a couple of degrees so water temps right now by 82 and a cold front just went through so it could be 81 and a half to 82 degrees now and then we get a northeast wedge set up behind that over the next few days and you get uh 77 78 degree waters, and so that will help hopefully weaken the system it did with matthew it did help out uh, so that's our only bet, you know, it, when, if it's going to be heading towards the southeast coast, if it's going to be category three, four, the, the National Hurricane Center has it as a, as a four at this time. Um, or a Four when it hits southern Florida and a three as it goes up the coastline. So we can only hope that it'll weaken to a two. And, and if it takes this track, we don't want any any higher of a category hurricane than that for the southeast.
2: Shay, I mean, I was looking at some of the numbers earlier tonight. Um, you know, as it gets there to south Florida, they had it at 155. I mean, you know, what's a couple miles per hour amongst friends, but I mean, 157 is uh, not 145 there. I guess it was the earlier advisory had it at 155. But I mean, that's, that's you know, getting borderline Cat 5 status. Um, is this almost a storm where we have to think, is this another one that can make landfalls at like Cat 5?
5: Uh, that is very possible. Uh, and, and, you know, we look at uh, upper shear patterns for that. You know, we... we- i love using mike's weather page it's sort of a go-to i like mike boylan i'm going to give him a quick shout out there Uh, i'm trying to see if his page will even load everything's bogged down right now nhc's bogged down um i don't even think i can get wind shear map up and running yep it's um everything is sort of uh on i can't even get the wind shear map to load man i'll tell you what man everybody's bogging down the servers right
0: now uh I do have a question for you guys while you're looking for that, uh, Shay. Uh, We have a question. Let me get the lady's name. Sarah Watson, wanting to know even if the hurricane does start to weaken, will the high surge levels maintain as it moves towards the coast?
5: That's a good question. And you got to think is it going to be partially over land or is it going to be coming uh, right in off the ocean? If the storm and surge along, and it depends on where she is. If she's on the Carolina coast, um, did you get that address, or, or do we know where she is?
0: Uh, let me see if I can look. Um, actually, she's from New Jersey, so I'm not sure if she's okay. down this way or not. But um, but yeah, that that was her question.
5: Right. Well, either way, uh, you know, they'll get a long period fetch, maybe as, as high as New Jersey. I, I think Outer Banks will probably get some of the higher swell from this system as it comes. Usually, from the south to north, you get a you get a high swell long-period fetch on the outer banks, uh, some of the outer capes. When you get into the coastal shelf waters of South Carolina though, uh, you start to see a different property develop with wave activity because it's a shelf, it's very shallow for very far out, then it drops off beyond 60 to 80 miles away from the coastline. Uh, So then you get a a high swell, short period swell and the kinetic energy that's forcing that up, it just gets sort of dissipated. It, It turns into more of a slop and chop type of wave environment and then you know, you don't have as high of a swell or a high of a surge as you think. The surges really take place inland in the estuaries, the marshlands. Uh, that's where your your bodies of water are starting to fill up quickly, especially with an onshore flow like this one coming from the south. Remember Matthew last year? We had that southeast wind first, and then we had the wraparound wind second that blew the water out. Um, and so, you know that this is this is crucial for certain areas that are going to be along the um onshore flow of the system ahead of time because to the north say savannah georgia and parts of southeastern or southwestern south carolina are most susceptible to the surge and the most of the pulse of the energy is going to be going north just ahead of it Um, you know rather if you had a a oncoming storm like hugo that was it was a massive storm it had so much energy pushing forward it drove that deeper water right into the coastline this one's already going to be on the shelf on the uh coastal shelf so you know, yep. how much wave action? How much how much um, you know energy can it can it generate in a shallow environment, shallow wave environment? That's that's gonna be a good question. So we'll have um, to see what the National Hurricane Center says. Mm-hmm.
0: Shay, you're you're talking about Hugo Brett is asking a question. Uh, could Irma have similar impacts um like Hugo did, not only there in the coastal areas of South Carolina, but also here in Western North Carolina. I'll take Western North Carolina. Ricky can jump in as well. But, Shay, I'll let you and Jared kind of talk about the impacts uh, maybe there in the uh, Charleston area.
5: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll take this one, and then I've got to hop off because I've I've got a live feed that I've got to do on my page uh, here in about 15 minutes. But uh, as far as Hugo effects, so you're talking about Category 3, Storm at this point, we we don't know if that's going to be a Category Three. Uh, Hugo was Category Four, uh, 135 miles per hour. Um, you know, we we it's it's really hard to say if you're going to have the same kind of effects. It's, it's from a different direction. Every storm is different. So Hugo was from southeast to northwest. That was that the storm is traveling that specific direction. So the northeast quadrant went just north of Charleston, but we got we the eye went over Charleston. Um, This one, if it holds together, uh, we may see some of that that western side sheared off and and a little bit on the drier side. Um, But if the storm goes to the south to, say, Charleston, then you'll get a lot of that moisture wrapping right up into the coastline. That could be a really nasty situation. Uh, So, you know, you have a few things to think about. That little bit of land interaction in Florida uh, may take some of that energy off of the west side of the storm and then we may see some wobbling of the eye we may see some breakdown of the system or some weakening overall um i think either way we'll have some pretty serious impacts if it stays on this particular track but as far as hugo hugo was a whole different beast it, it, was, a, it was a very well formed storm that that hit the coast at a certain angle just right angle to cause the surge that was the one of the biggest things was the surge uh from hugo and then the winds of course were very destructive they did a lot of damage they so toppled the Ben your Bridge and did some other things that were pretty wild to see. But uh, it's going to take uh, it's going to take a Category 4 to equal Hugo, and I'm hoping we don't see that. So back to you guys. I'm going to sign off with that, but I uh, wish everybody the best of luck watching the show, especially our, our guest tonight. I know Trevor's here in town. Uh, everyone else along the coastline, Jared, uh, good luck with, with your plans. I'm, my wife and I are planning on evacuating with our children, so uh, we're going to probably shoot out of here Friday morning just to be on the safe side. If everything's holding in place, so we're we're kind of kind of waiting one more day, and then and if, if it holds, we're gonna we're gonna split.
2: Well, uh, safe travels to you, and hope everything you know works out well, and uh, you guys can get everything handled. If you need anything from us, let us know.
5: All right, we'll do. Thank you, guys.
2: All righty. Well, Scotty, let's kind of talk a little bit about potential impacts across the rest of the of South Carolina and then North Carolina. I pulled up a graphic here. I don't know if uh, we can share that perhaps uh, um, directly, but this is the new product from the hurricane center this year this is the earliest arrival time uh, for tropical storm force winds i thought this was interesting scotty how it has tropical storm force winds perhaps sunday at 8 p.m for a large section of uh, north carolina we'll change it to most likely uh, and see if we get a a shift here Uh, and notice how it's still a little bit delayed on that so the most likely time perhaps later as we go probably into monday and tuesday time frame and we looked at the euro model earlier you and i were kind of looking at that before the show, look at some of these wind gusts. Um, you know, as you very well know, in the mountains, get higher elevations, the higher winds can be gusting up there. Some of these models are shooting out uh, 70 mile per hour, 60 mile per hour winds across portions of my area in Northeast Tennessee, Southwest Virginia, and especially in your area across Western North Carolina in the foothills.
0: Yeah, that, that's a big concern. You know, we've been watching these models, and it seems like they've kind of uh, conveyed in the, the Savannah, Georgia area, Charleston, uh, and then move into the west, northwest, uh, which would put um, that northeast quadrant, the strongest part of a, a tropical system, over western North Carolina. Like you said, Ricky, you know, we're, we're looking at possibly wind gusts 60, 70 miles per hour if these models hold true. Um, you know, we've had a lot of rain this summer, so so the grounds are, are saturated. Uh, we just picked up two inches of rain uh, over the past 24 hours here. So, uh, you know, with 40, 50 mile per hour wind gust, uh, I think we would see trees come down. But as we could see, uh, the models are, are putting out 60, 70 mile per hour wind gust with, on top of maybe another four, five, six inches of rain. Uh, if the models stick true, it's going to be uh, very. Uh, very dangerous in some places here in the western part of the state with, with the winds and the flooding. Uh, our question was about Hugo. I, I don't remember Hugo. I wasn't alive, but I remember hearing stories of Hugo. And, uh, you know, that, that's the benchmark in, in North Carolina, western North Carolina, especially Charlotte, to the mountains of tropical systems. And, uh, you know, this kind of looks a little similar to that, not, not comparing the two, but uh, the track is similar and maybe even some of the effects Um, that that we're going to see here. So as you can see, the graphic that Ricky has, you know, uh, probabilities of seeing uh, tropical storm force winds um, by Sunday evening is growing, and it may continue to grow as we track uh, Irma closer to the southeast coast.
2: You know, I think the one thing we need to bring up with talking about Hugo and stuff like that is that, you know, Hugo was a fast mover. That thing was booking it across the state, and it moved from Charleston almost up to my area near Bristol in almost 12 hours. This looks to be more like kind of an 18, maybe 20, perhaps 24-hour time frame. So, I mean, there's obviously going to be more time for the system to lose a little bit of its energy, lose a little bit of its punch. Uh, And on the western side here where we're located, northeast Tennessee, we get downslope a lot. So that may cut into some of our rain totals, but you get upslope on your side. So I think it's one of those scenarios where, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, you still need to pay attention for a little bit longer and wait for some more information before we uh, fully – Go on to but it's interesting you know what do you issue you issue a tropical storm inland tropical storm warning or do you that, issue high wind watches and warnings
0: that that's going to be interesting um you know uh, that'll be interesting to see because the models are, are keeping it like tropical storm characteristics uh, at least wind wise as it moves as far inland so that's going to be interesting but the flooding um i can remember francis and ivan the last major tropical system that we've had moved through western north carolina uh, in this similar area, and it produced um, a lot of flash flooding uh, that, that did a lot of damage to people's homes and, quite frankly, shut the place down for a few days um, because there was so much flooding. So, that that's also concerning, and, and not counting the, the tornado threat that not only I can see here in Western North Carolina, but even places like uh, where James is at in Charlotte, uh, you know, and even where Sam's at in Raleigh, depending on the track, you know, tornadoes could also be. Um, something that we have to factor in as well.
8: And uh, uh, Scotty, if I could take it from there for for just a second, I actually have a graphic I want to show. Brad Penovich was on the show last week talking about social science. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pop this graphic up on the screen because I think a lot of folks, ourselves included at this point, if you are in an area like North Carolina, uh, we wish we had more certainty on where this was going to be five or six days, but we honestly just don't know. And I think Brad does a really good job of giving all of us some action items. And so I'm going to actually give a voice to this graphic for anyone who might be listening to us on our podcast version. But Brad has broken down here a graphic based on this afternoon, as of Wednesday evening, what folks should be doing. So if you're in a place like Cuba or Miami or South Florida, he has you in this one to three day go status. That means get your things together, get to a safe place and get there now. Then he has, you know, Jacksonville and uh, parts of uh, northern florida in this get set three to five days out know what your plan is we still have some uncertainty in the cone so we don't know exactly where it's going to go but know what your plan a b and c are for those of us anywhere from alabama to washington dc so that includes most of north and south carolina myself included here in charlotte uh five to seven days out get ready build that hurricane kit get your supplies know where you're going get some plans together am i going north am i going east am i going west uh, and I can tell you, uh, I think a lot of folks after Harvey are really paying close attention to this, which is really good. We just don't have all the answers yet, but I think we're already starting to see it store shelves in Florida are sold out, but we're even starting to see, see that trickle inland here in Charlotte where water, although not sold out, uh, I've heard from a couple of folks, myself included now that the, the supplies are abnormally low as people are rushing out to, uh, to buy some water. So I thought that was a really great graphic from Brad to share. And yeah, I'll say, Scotty.
2: I think the biggest impact, you know, in North Carolina would be power outages. I mm-hmm. think that's the biggest concern. Um, you know, and especially perhaps an extended power outage at spots because if you have a large portion of the state impacted by strong winds, uh, it's almost like a derecho kind of a storm that moves across the state. It takes a while sometimes to get that power back on.
0: Yeah, if if you live anywhere um, west of Raleigh, uh, you know that there's trees galore everywhere, and uh, a lot of trees uh it's not going to take a, a big wind gust to, to knock them down. So uh, three uh, damage is going to be uh, definitely one of those, I think, power outages. But, you know, we're talking about the rain-wind threat. I, I'm just as concerned with the wind threat as I am the rain threat. And sometimes when, when we get systems coming inland, that wind threat kind of decreases and the rain threat uh, increases. But with this system, you know, uh, that, that wind threat is going to be pretty strong. I did want to say um, – um, You know, now is the time. I know James was just talking about it. I came from Walmart this evening before the show, and there was no water left. Um, They had one pallet, and the guy was unstocking it, and I I grabbed a few cases of water, and several other people did as well. Uh, Local gas stations here in in our part of the world are already out of gas. So, uh, you know, people uh, with, with what happened with Harvey with that gas and then people trying to get gassed up for this, uh, now is the time to prepare uh, your family. And in worst case scenario, uh, you know we get hit, and you're prepared. And best case scenario, we don't get hit, and you're you're prepared for the next event.
7: I'll just jump in here real quick, guys, before we uh, get ready to wrap this up this evening, to uh, let folks know that even if that. Uh, if that storm is not coming directly at you, uh, if you're going to get, uh, you know, 30 to 40, 50 mile an hour winds and, uh, and some heavy rain, that is no joke. We had the remnants of Harvey move, uh, pretty much over Memphis last, uh, Thursday night. Um, we actually had a, a college football game being played in the middle of it. It was, uh, it was not good, uh, not a good sight. but anyway, there was, uh, you know, we got, uh, Steady, sustained winds of 30. Um, definitely some gusts that went to uh, 40 to 50, and in fact, the Memphis International Airport recorded a peak gust of 60. Um, and this is after it was a tropical depression. Four inches of rain uh, between about noon and midnight. Um, this thing was no joke when it came through here. So, uh, just because you're, uh, you know, you're not right in the track or you're not going to get 180 mile an hour winds, it's not doesn't mean you can, uh, you know, just call it off. So.
6: And one, one more thing, if I can jump in, don't don't look at that little point, that little M on the map. It, 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 this storm is going to be much larger than any single point on the map. You've got to take into account the wind field. I mean, again, I think the graphic that Ricky had up the earliest, uh, you know, the earliest reasonable time for tropical storm forest winds, you'll notice that the center by 8 p.m. Sunday is still around Brunswick, Georgia. So and, and you're having the potential for tropical s- storm force winds up into North Carolina. So please, folks, make sure that when you're looking at these tracking maps, you understand that a hurricane is not a small point on a map.
0: And yeah, that, that's true. Um, let's kind of give uh, kind of – Jared, why don't you kind of cover the, the coastal areas, um, maybe what to expect over the next few uh, few days, and then we'll kind of wrap up from there as we go uh, more to the western part of our area, and then uh, we'll wrap up the show.
6: Sounds good. Yeah. No, the good news is, is that we got a cold front coming through tonight. Still a few showers moving through, but it'll be nice over the next couple of days. We're going to get some calm before the storm. So, weather is not going to impact your preparedness. Uh, uh, you know, anything you need to do for preparedness, it's going to be great. It's going to be 80, 81. You're going to have lows in the 60s, low humidity. So, behind this cold front, that is unfortunately uh, going to could potentially mess a lot of things up for us in a few days. Um, but again, you know, we've got three scenarios on the table. One is uh, kind of uh, a western track over Florida, which increases our tornado threat but decreases our surge threat. We have, um, we have one that takes it right up the coast, like mini Matthew, uh, Matthew's sister, and um, but a little bit stronger possibly that we are very concerned about. Um, it's the devil we know for sure from last year Um, and then there's a a broad brush which we would love to see but uh, I tell you you look at the ensemble runs and you look at everything and it's just not looking good for that so uh, please folks pay attention to uh, you know all emergency management and um, we will actually be trying to stream as many of the emergency management uh, press conferences as possible on the Carolina Weather Group, uh, all of the channels. So uh, that's something that we're actively working to do. So please folks, just stay informed and um, and, and consider the sources of your data too. Uh, I've seen a lot of rumors going around. I've seen a lot of uh, model runs um, from just random, just charts that people don't understand shared with no context and uh, scaring a lot of people. So, um, Please, uh, it, it, like I, I told my work this, um, don't go chasing model runs. Stick to the official NHC forecast that you're used to, to paraphrase TLC on <laughs> that one. But, um, but anyway, uh, good luck to everybody. And, 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 and again, I hope everybody's preparations go well. So pass awesome. it Back to you, Scotty.
0: All right. And Kit, uh, I know you have family in the Charlotte area. Kind uh, of talk about what maybe the Piedmont of North Carolina to, is to expect.
9: Yeah, well, I, I've got friends or family, really, in the Somerville, Charleston area. So uh, they've already started to uh, make their plans to evacuate back to um, west of Charlotte. But one of them is a surgeon, so he's going to be staying in Charleston uh, as essential uh, faculty down there. But it's, um, in the Charlotte area, it's definitely going to be one of those cases where um, even if it's still a hurricane and it's at the coast, the wind field, like they were saying uh, a minute ago, I who was saying it, um, the wind field is still very, very wide. And I've got that graphic pulled up right here. I'll go ahead and share my screen. Um, this is the current forecasted wind field. So the center um, pink, more pink color is major hurricane wind speeds. So that's category three or higher. And you see already right here as it's uh, forecasted to go north of Hispaniola, um, that wind field of... Uh, the red, the secondary uh, circle, that is the hurricane force winds. So even though it's several, like a couple hundred miles off the coast, or m- maybe about a hundred miles off the coast, hurricane force winds are still barely reaching, but it's almost at the Dominican Republic. And you can see as this goes forward, um, those wind fields do start to decrease, it, and it's also a product of the uncertainty, but even when it's the latitude of Nassau, Bahamas, Miami is still feeling very strong winds um, of still tropical storm force winds. So even if later on, once it gets to the Charleston area, you can imagine one of those um, uh, wind fields of the major hurricanes could be uh, still pretty large, and then in the Charlotte area could still be, could start to see um, tropical storm force, if not hurricane force winds, if it still holds together by that point. Currently though, uh, it's not quite that strong, but um, once it's in the Charlotte area, that disturbance itself could uh, be impactful because we've got a lot of trees. I remember when um, Hugo came through, or when I moved to my uh, home in Belmont, we saw there were these two very large rotting trees that were brought down by Hugo. So, like, the very large Widowmaker trees that you think, okay, that one might want to cut it down for a thunderstorm, a sphere of thunderstorm that comes through. Um, like we were saying, it's a lot of straight-line wind damage kind of thing. So it's, it's something we need to prepare for, and I mean, we don't necessarily have to go down chopping down trees right now, but that's something you want to watch out for. So if you think a tree that you've been putting off from chopping down, if you think it might be a concern... Something like this event, with the heavy rains, like Memphis saw the four inches from Harvey several hundred miles inland, um, it will soak the ground and those heavy winds could bring down more trees and subsequently power lines.
0: All right, well here in the western part of the state, we're um, kind of just watching the track, depending on where that goes, depends on the effects that we have. Uh, The current track right now, the current thinking is uh, we could get a lot of high winds, some heavy rain potentially some tornadoes. The impacts Monday through Wednesday, uh, that's the time frame that we're looking at, so uh, hopefully uh, everyone be prepared, get your prep- preparation kits and just follow reliable sources and uh, we'll make sure uh, that you- that information gets out to, uh, to you. So Ricky, quickly what's going on in Tennessee and then we'll kind of log off.
2: And end up seeing some wind and some rain, the exact amount and exact uh, magnitude to be determined. But I can see us having, especially in the higher ele- elevations, some gusts maybe 50, 60, and um, a couple inches of rain, probably one to two across our area. All
0: right, um, Eric, I'll let you kind of briefly go over our, uh, our app, and then James is going to sign us out. So, uh, off to you, Eric.
7: All right, good. And uh, the weather's going to be great here in Memphis. If you guys need to escape, it's uh, in the mid seventies. Dew points dropping into the forties. Sunshine. Y'all come on over. I've got a place for uh, for place to put you. Um, we uh, certainly want to make sure that you're aware that uh, if you're looking to get uh, tropical weather watches and warnings to uh, a mobile device, um, if you're on iOS, the StormWatch Plus app is the place to go. This is a screenshot from the app on iPad uh, last week when Harvey was sitting down over southern Texas. Uh, So just show you a little bit of the capability. It's got Weather Service. forecast in it as well as uh, current conditions and of course you see down at the bottom that it's got the active alerts lit up and that's because uh, I had it programmed to give me uh, alerts for the Texas coast, actually for Corpus Christi there um, and tropical storm uh, warnings, hurricane warnings were in effect and so it pushed those right to my iPad and uh, I was able to get them specifically there for the location that I put in so make sure you check that out, you can uh, find more information and download it from uh, the www.stormwatchplus.com com slash Carolina and that'll give you all the details you need uh, and if you do uh, upgrade within the app to get those alerts make sure you use the referral code Carolina we would appreciate it
8: fantastic uh, Eric I was just looking at it myself on my own app here and uh, that referral code under that little uh, that little cog wheel right SW plus down there in the bottom right after installing Yep, that's exactly right. Fantastic. So I've got it. I've got it here. We'll keep an eye on that as well, too. And uh, want to thank everyone, uh, our guests, for tonight uh, kicking off our two-part series on studying meteorology. We'll be back next week with part two of that series as well uh, as a follow-up, of course, to, to Hurricane Irma. We'll be watching the forecast over the coming days. You've clearly already found the Carolina Weather Group here on YouTube, Periscope, or Facebook. So we do hope that you... Uh, choose to like and subscribe to our page so that you can continue to get uh, trusted uh, updates here over the coming days uh, as well as on our website carolinaweathergroup.com. we do thank you for entrusting uh, us with uh, that weather information uh, for you Uh, as uh, so many of our panelists have been saying we will be doing special coverage over the coming days to bring you as much of that pertinent information uh, as we can so as local officials and state officials and others are making announcements we'll do our best to relay that to you and of course uh, with so much of the Carolinas right now in, as Brad Penovich put it, that ready state five to seven days out from any sort of possible storm. Uh, I hope you will join all of us here at the Carolina Weather Group with getting our go kits ready. Uh, and of course, that means food, water, medicine, prescriptions, important documents, having those evacuation plans ready. And of course, don't forget, you're going to need some batteries for those flashlights and those radios. So uh, thank you again for joining us here in the Carolina Weather Group. We will uh, continue to update you on Hurricane Irma, and we hope all of you, Stay safe and sound. Have a good night.